Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Eric Culkin, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. On this episode, we're going to talk election, specifically the John James and Gary Peters race. And on this episode, we are joined by Khalil Al-Hajjal and Malachi Barrett, who both cover politics in the state of Michigan. And with this race, there's a lot to cover. Yeah, so even before we got to this point, uh, the Peters-James race has been one of the few nationally where Republicans were hopeful. James responded directly to Taylor's tweet with a video uh, of him just speaking off the cuff in a car. Um, And he really tore into Biden pretty hard with some personality, some real fire. It was the first time I'd, I'd seen some real personality in this race, I think. All right, let's jump into it. Get the gloves on and see how much money we're spending between this single race. And I promise you, the number might actually shock you. My co-host, as always, John Heiner, Vice President of Content. John, how are you, my friend? I am well, Eric. Thank you for asking. How are you today? I am excellent. Thank you for asking as well. So the TV has been on in my house a lot uh, the last few weeks because football is back. And uh, even though I know these guys are putting their lives on the line uh, for our entertainment, I appreciate it, um, and watching some sports and so forth. But the other thing with my TV on so much is the what's been unavoidable is a, just an avalanche of TV advertising for politics. And in you know, a normal election year, it's, it's kind of spread out. But this year, it just seems to be dominated by, by one race, um, just ad on top of ad. Sometimes they back up four ads in a row. And I'm talking about the uh, U.S. Senate race in Michigan, which uh, is incumbent Gary Peters, a Democrat, being uh, challenged by John James, the the Republican. And uh, James uh, ran in 2018 um, and lost against Debbie Stabenow. He's he's back. But holy cow, the amount uh, of airtime money that must be spent on this. Um, I thought it would be a great topic today with two weeks ago before the election to be joined today by our political statewide political editor, Khalil Al-Hajjal, and statewide politics writer, Malachi Barrett. Uh, welcome to the show, Khalil and Malachi. Thanks. Happy to be here, as always. This should be fun. Malachi, you were here earlier this year. Um, hard to believe that, you know, we, back then we were a few months out. We're just two weeks away. And, the the, the you know, to Michigan, obviously the top of the ticket is very important. We're a swing state, um, 10,000 votes in 2016, Trump took the state. So that's that's probably getting a lot of attention as it should. But there's another uh, a big story unfolding with the Senate and there has been some movement or some talk among 
uh, incumbent Republicans about kind of moving the defensive lines back and trying to protect the Senate uh, should you know Trump lose the presidential race. And one of the, the key races that's being targeted is the Gary Peters incumbency here where the Democrats being challenged by John James. So if you could just give us an overview of what's at stake here in Michigan and, and what's at stake for the Senate and why Michigan is in the spotlight. Yeah, so even before we got to this point, uh, the Peters-James race has been one of the few nationally where Republicans were hopeful of defeating a sitting Democratic senator. That's for a couple of reasons. I mean, largely because this is a state where President Trump won in 2016. Uh, it's two seats, uh, really, in states that Trump won. The other is Alabama uh, with Doug Jones, where he was able to pull off that upset last time around. And, you know, the difference politically between Alabama and Michigan night and day, people kind of expecting uh, that would be a lot easier for them to pick up. And so, you know, a lot of the attention turned next to Michigan is something that would be more competitive, but still certainly, uh, you know, something that Republicans can pull off. Um, now we're in an interesting situation where we're seeing a lot of incumbent Republican senators across the country, even so far up to uh, the majority leader. Uh, you know, in trouble. Uh, they're having more competitive races than I think a lot of them were expecting. There's certainly been a lot more money uh, involved there. And, uh, you know, James is not an incumbent. He's a challenger. But I think there's been more emphasis uh, on that race and more money coming in from national Republicans uh, because, you know, the the idea that Democrats could flip the Senate back is is kind of a reality right now. It's something that, that could happen. So I think that puts a lot more pressure on our race here. Um, you know, the outcome of the presidential election is, is really going to, I think, decide what ends up happening here. Um, but, you know, Peters is a freshman senator. It's his first time seeking re-election after six years. Um, so he has to come back to voters and, and make his pitch. Uh, James is making his second run, as, as you noted, John, uh, and he's, you know, a lot more polished and practiced this time around. He's got a lot more money on his side and he's been uh, a lot stronger of a candidate, I think, than he was back in 2018 when he lost to Debbie Stabenow. Khalil, let me ask you something. I was looking at the electoral map and for Stabenow's win in 2018. And there's a couple of things about, about that race that I think are interesting. One is Stabenow really didn't run any negative advertising. I think she just wrote on her incumbency. But looking at the electoral map, obviously, I think it mirrored Trump's victory. The populous cities like Detroit, um, you know, Flint, Lansing, Washtenaw went for her. And, and James won most of the, the rural out, you know, outstate areas. Has any of that calculus changed, Khalil, for this race? Is, is the personalities make any kind of difference uh, does James is, excuse me, Peters is a little more aggressive advertising campaign. Does that any of this make a difference or do you think the electoral map's going to hold, hold up the way it did last time? Well, I think it is a little bit different. I think uh, like Malachi said, James has gotten a lot better at this since last time around. Um, I'm not sure how big of a difference it'll make for him. Like you said, the maps will still look the same, but I'm sure he'll pick up a little bit more than he did last time. Um, he seems to be sort of finding a voice. Um, even recently, uh, James last week, um, Biden was in town last week and one of our reporters, Taylor DeSormo, tweeted out that Biden was going after James a bit um, during his speech here in Michigan. Um, he called James a disaster or something like that. Um, and, and James responded directly to Taylor's tweet with a video uh, 
of him just speaking off the cuff in a car. Um, and he really tore into Biden pretty hard uh, with some personality, um, with some real fire. It was the first time I'd, I'd seen some real personality in this race, I think. Um, and it seemed genuine. It came out genuine. He was going after Biden, specifically about that gap a few months ago where Biden said something like, if you're not voting Joe Biden, you're not black or something um, to that effect. And, and, and James really went after him. Um, and if he, you know, manages to hold on to that sort of genuine off the cuff sort of rhetoric, um, that, that'll continue to help. him. I'm not sure. I, he certainly has more of a chance this time around than the last time. I'm not sure how much of a chance he has, but even if he doesn't, uh, you know, come up with a win this time, it, it's feeling like he'll, he'll be around for a while. He could run for another statewide office at some point and maybe be a, a you know, a strong voice in the Republican party going forward. Mm-hmm. He, you know, for those listeners who don't know, and I can't imagine that there's a human out there who has not seen some of these advertising <laughs> on TV, but, uh, John James is African-American, uh, and the interesting thing, when Biden you know, made his comments about being the candidate for, for African-Americans and, and you were mentioning how he came back on him and said, you know, hey, look at Biden's record. Um, you know, you're not a friend of you're not a friend of black people and so forth. But the New York Times came out this summer and followed James around, did an interesting profile on him. And their conclusion as they, they came away was that there's a kind of an elephant in the room that. James is having a hard time addressing, which is the top of his ticket is a is the president is not seen as someone who uh, is for um, progressive racial equality ideas. <laughs> I'm trying to be euphemistic there. Um, how do you feel either of you, uh, Malachi or Khalil, feel like that is an issue at all with voters? Uh, do you think he has a credibility gap with black voters or anything of that nature? Uh, or do you think that that's uh, an overestimation? No, that's, that's been something he's had to navigate throughout this race um, very early on in this year. I can't remember exactly when, but it was in the spring before coronavirus hit and all this. Um, there was a meeting that he had held with uh, Black faith leaders in the Detroit area. And a lot of their conversation, which was a, a private conversation that ended up being leaked to the media afterward, it's not something we would have been able to really hear about otherwise. He talks pretty frankly about this this situation where you know, Republicans are not trusted in a lot of black communities in Michigan, especially in, you know, Wayne County and, and Genesee County and some of these places that, um, you know, he's going to need to run fairly competitive in if he wants to uh, have a shot of winning this. And, you know, he's tried to make the pitch uh, throughout this race that, you know, he has unique experiences as a black man. He's talked at campaign rallies about being pulled over. Um, you know, with his son in the backseat and, and fearing, you know, what could go wrong there if a, a police officer, um, you know, uh, has an issue with him. And, um, you know, at the same time, he's a West Point graduate. He's been in the military. He tries to empathize with police officers and, you know, some of the duty that they have and how they, they leave their families. And it's something he's he's tried to the line on where, you know, he, at these rallies, um, you know, he's been at a couple of, of rallies for the president's what I'm referring to here. And they're largely attended, uh, the ones in Michigan that have been held so far, uh, you know, have largely been attended by, uh, you know, a white audience. And so he's up there kind of talking about how we need to support 
police officers. We also need to support black communities. Um, you know, it's rhetoric that I think the Republican supporters like to hear, but it probably doesn't go far enough for a lot of the black voters in these communities. Um, you know, in this race, it's interesting. We've seen black men. Uh, President Trump has been performing a little bit better with them than in the past. Uh, in the Senate race in particular, we've seen polls suggest that there are more undecided black voters. Um, you know, an interesting dynamic here is that Peters is actually kind of lagging behind Biden's performance in Michigan when it comes to polling. Um, so it seems like there's a lot of undecided voters that maybe could give him the benefit of the doubt on some of these issues. Um, but he also has not really called out the president and his role in, you know, inflaming some of these tensions and his handling of the protests. And, you know, it does make you wonder whether uh, people in the black community are seeing that, you know, feeling that he has not, uh, you know, tried to hold the, the president accountable for those things. Um, and that's, you know, across the board on, you know, any issue you can really think of. Uh, James has been really, really careful not to criticize the president. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting question, though, because he's a bit of a unicorn. He's acknowledges himself that you don't have a lot of black Republicans, especially that have um, this really strong mainstream support from the party. But it's 2020. And we've seen a couple more of these candidates on the national stage. Um, and he's kind of carving out, I think as Khalil mentioned, you know, he's kind of carving out a voice for himself and a spot for himself within the party. Is, has James made any, uh, can, his campaign or him made any public statement about Black Lives Matter? I'm struggling to think of if he's addressed the movement in particular. Um, I mean, he's certainly been sympathetic to the goals of police reform and protests. Um, but in terms of supporting the, the you know, the named movement, um, I couldn't say. I, I think there's a real hesitancy to do that just because of how demonized Black Lives Matter is in, um, you know, Republican circles and conservative media. Everyone sort of tiptoes around that thing where, you know, we support people's rights to equality, but we don't support hooligans and violence and damage and on both sides. Um, Trump's not so subtle, but, um, you know, a lot of candidates want to have kind of their uh, cake and eat it too there. Um, Khalil, in the substance of the campaign is, and, and Malachi had mentioned his polling numbers, does he have deficits that Stabenow didn't have is just because he's not as well known, he hasn't been around as long? Um, what, what is the strength of his incumbency? It feels about it feels about the same. I'm not sure about the numbers. Maybe Malachi, uh, you know, has taken a closer look at, at comparative numbers, but it feels about the same. The only difference to me is, is, you know, James' experience and probably the amount of money that his campaign has been raising. Um, and also, I mean, Joe Biden has some real vulnerabilities, particularly in in, in black communities, um, that would that would normally you know, vote straight ticket Democrat. Um, whereas with Biden, he's got some problems. You can't go around saying, you're not black if you don't vote for me. Um, and then another one of the things that James has attacked him on is, uh, you know, law enforcement, Biden's history on law enforcement and, and you know, the war on drugs and, you know, incarceration and, and, and reform. And I don't think, I don't think James has said anything directly about Black Lives Matter, but he has gone after Biden a bit. Um, on law enforcement issues. Um, and I think there's been a willingness 
lately for uh, black leadership to, to, you know, not let the Democrats sort of get away with, with taking them for granted. Mm-hmm. More so, I think, than than in the last election. I mean, recently, uh, um, even there's a, you know, Ice Cube, you know, the, the iconic rapper and actor, you know, really came out and didn't directly endorse Trump, but um, expressed some frustration with the Biden campaign, announced some sort of plan that he helped the Trump campaign put together and made it clear that the Biden campaign did not, you know, was not open to hearing from him or working with him. And I'm seeing sort of more and more black leaders just saying, you know, they're almost saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to vote against Trump, but, but don't take us for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's been a real opportunity Republicans see to exploit some of that frustration that black communities have with establishment Democrats and to Khalil's point, I think James has tried to argue that Peters is part of that. Um, now he's, you know, a freshman senator who's only been there for six years and, and not as entrenched as Joe Biden is. But a lot of what he talks about on the campaign trail is that Republicans and Democrats have failed. Um, and maybe he's trying to prevent something a little bit differently. One other thing I just wanted to note on polling, which is interesting. Uh, James has been slowly eating into Peters's lead throughout the cycle. He hasn't led in any polls, uh, except uh, some polls done by the same pollster who was the only one to predict Trump's 2016 win in Michigan. So make of that what you will. Uh, It's been a little all over the place though. Frankly, Peters has been up between like one point and eight points in some polls taken this month. Um, But it's a lot tighter in the polling. uh, I think either campaign expected Um, for an incumbent Senator, you would have expected him to kind of ride out some of that lead. Um, and one of the problems that they had identified pretty early on in polling, a lack of familiarity with Peters, a lot of voters didn't really know what he was about or what he had accomplished. Um, so that's been kind of a challenge for him to get back out there in front of people. He took two weeks off quarantining as well. Uh, there was a senator that he was in fairly close contact with. So that kind of pulled him off the campaign trail until last week. And then he did some events all around the state, um, so there's going to be, you know, a last minute push to, to get back out in front of people. Well, in the, I went back and looked at the polling in the 2018 race between Stabenow and James. And I think this is a natural thing. She was way ahead in the polls. And then as election day drew near, the polls got a little bit tighter, got a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. And the closest that James ever came in the polls was like a few days before the election. And he, she ended up winning by six, six and a half percentage points, which was closer than some people thought. Because uh, she's she's got a pretty strong incumbency, um, I think there's a tendency for the pulse to tighten as as election day gets closer. Um, one thing I wanted to explore with you guys, just for the sake of our listeners and readers, the ones who are getting bombarded with these ads, there seem to be themes that emerge. And you know, one is like you know, no show Peters. He he didn't show up for votes. He abandoned the veterans. He uh, and then the other he comes after James like attacking James like he's been in office for 20 years and he has a track record. He's going to take away, you know, healthcare for pre-existing conditions and all these things. How, 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 how much grain of salt should people take? Are they all tuned out by now? Or is there some substance to any of this uh, that you guys have looked into that can maybe help our readers sort this out? So we've been, we've been talking about how many polls are out there. We haven't really said, the amount of money that's being spent. Uh, we're, we're expecting over $100 million. I think at this point, $100 million has been spent and it's going to keep growing. On this uh, race alone, that's on incredible. This race. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, the 2018 gubernatorial race was Michigan's most expensive uh, in history, and that was uh, around $93.5 million. The same year, the U.S. Senate race between Peters and Stabenow, or I'm sorry, James and Stabenow, cost $40 million. So that's a difference in these Senate races, just two years apart of 40 to over 100. And, I, you know, we're probably going to get to 110. Who, who knows, really? Um, they've both raised about $70 million between the two of them. And outside groups have spent another 50. And, you know, so it, it kind of depends on how much they're going to spend in the last couple of weeks. Uh, anyway, they've all been pretty vicious attack ads, I think. Uh, many of them have been, uh, you know, misleading at best or, or kind of outright lies at worst. Um, you know, you mentioned the the attacks on Peter's not showing up for committee hearings. Um, you know, that's it's not uncommon for senators to, to miss smaller uh committees, subcommittees and things like that as he's been busy and his campaign has tried to point to, you know, he's he's been at other things during his schedule. So it's not as though he's not necessarily showing up for work. Um, the health care uh, argument has, has definitely been something Democrats want this race to be about. You know, the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments in a lawsuit that could end the Affordable Care Act uh, the same month as the election, a couple weeks afterward. And James has said that he wants to repeal and replace Obamacare in the past in 2018. Uh, and now he wants to improve the ACA, but he's not necessarily opposed to it being knocked out by this lawsuit. And he's been really adamant that he wants to protect pre-existing conditions uh, through some kind of legislative requirement. Uh, but Democrats have argued he's struggled to explain what that means exactly. Peters has argued that James has no plan essentially to protect pre-existing conditions and um, you know, to make sure that all those people that are insured through Obamacare would stay insured uh, if the Supreme Court knocks that out. Um, but, you know, there's been quite a bit of um, misleading statements about where candidates are in terms of taking it with salt. Yeah, I mean, I would get your biggest spoon in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> most of these have been... Uh, you know, pretty misleading. And and they come from, the, this is not money being spent by the campaigns necessarily. A lot of this is being spent by independent dark money groups and doing a lot of the, the dirt digging and the attacking that the campaigns, uh, you know, would normally do if not for Citizens United. So they've been able to kind of get their hands dirty on behalf of the candidates. You know how they find like the worst picture of the candidate, you know, of your, your opponent, and then you darken it and you make it grainy. And it's like, he kind of looks like an international terrorist or something, you know? I just kind of hard with, with Peters, with his little beard, he kind of looks like a teddy bear, you know? So <laughs> they try to make him look yeah. tough on the motorcycle, you know, right. Yes. Harley, but yeah, he's, yeah, he's not the most intimidating figure. And this is not, I'm, I'm not saying any of these things indicate you know, what I think about the race. I'm just saying after $50 million, my takeaway from the Peters uh, ad strategy is that he helped the cherry farmers in Traverse city. <laughs> So um, anyway, that's just astounding amount of money, but you, you see it in effect. If you turn your TV on, it's just mind blowing. Um, they just, they're dominating the airwaves. I, I, I see a little bit of, you know, national ads for Trump uh, or Biden, um, but, but geez, oh, Pete's, you know, but and then, and the other thing though, is what are the other major races in Michigan? Right. Um, I mean, you go ahead and spell them out, but it, it seems like there's two major races on the, on the, uh, on the ballot. And, uh, you know, you got the Wayne State Board of Trustees and, you know, whatever, but it, it's these two races, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd say that the third district race out in West Michigan to replace Justin Amash is probably the other biggest one. But some of the, the races that we thought would be really competitive in the 8th and the 11th district, the two districts that Democrats had flipped in 2018, haven't really been as competitive. I mean, I think those Democratic incumbents kind of feel like they've they've got it locked up at this point. Um, and yeah, I mean, they definitely haven't been attracting the money. I mean, it's been probably frustrating for voters to see a lot of these ads are just kind of attacks on the other candidate instead of here's what I would like to accomplish. Uh, and they probably aren't going to debate this year. You know, we got two weeks away and it doesn't seem like they're any closer to uh, coming to an agreement there. They both basically have agreed to debates hosted by different TV stations and have dug their heels on the ground about, no, you come over to my TV stations and debate me. No, no, you come over and debate me on the ones that I agree to. So, you know, that's, that's a disservice to voters. And they've done a couple of town halls kind of back-to-back style interviews, but they have yet to, to get, you know, in a room together and, and talk about some of these issues. So, um, you know, I, I've been maybe personally a little frustrated by the lack of kind of focus on substance and, and, you know, policy and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's been kind of replaced with this uh, unprecedented TV ad blitz. Mm-hmm. Khalil, you'd mentioned we, we were talking about the 2016 turnout um, that, especially with African-American voters, did not mirror 2012 for Barack Obama. Uh, any sense of what we're going to do, just a total turnout, total votes cast? I know that there's been, what, upwards of a million votes already cast in Michigan. Maybe I've got that number wrong, maybe. Um, but I, I think they're expecting up to a million cast before the election. But what are you sensing or hearing about? from election officials about turnout and the effect it's going to have at the top of the ticket and down. Yeah, well, well, I live in Detroit and I, I just, I, I can tell just, you know, being here that, that a lot more people are voting and will vote than, than will four years ago. Um, just the excitement wasn't there four years ago. Um, and I'm not sure there's that much excitement for Biden this time around, but there's that much excitement, you know, to turn up, against the president. Um, I don't I don't think it'll compare as far when it comes to Detroit and even Metro Detroit, I think the turnout will be will be far higher. I think they're expecting three million absentee votes, which you know is far more than ever casted before in Michigan. Um, and just there are times there's a group of people who who drive down my street, um, West Grand Boulevard in Detroit honking their horns and, and just sort of making a lot of noise, reminding people to vote, urging people to go <laughs> to go show up or to go get your absentee ballot and, and do your thing. And there are drop boxes all over the city. And there's, um, there's I get so many mailers, just not even for a particular candidate, um, just urging people to vote and offering all sort of guidance. And it wasn't like this four years ago. Uh, MLive did have a nice post that uh, I'll link to in the column that goes with this podcast about 12 things you need to know about voting in Michigan. And it's got some really helpful information about that people can go to their, their city clerk's office or city hall, register on the same day, register, vote all on the same day uh, if they don't want to wait till election day on November 3rd. Um, and let's just cut, if we can, cut through all of the rhetoric and, and, and talk that we've heard and and fears and anxieties about, you know, fraud and my vote not counting. And, and, you know, the, the, it's a disaster. If you listen to Trump, uh, 
you know, that the, and then people have fears that this means the election might get, the results might get either delayed or somehow skewed. Let's just really cut through that. What's the reality? Um, what do you guys expect to happen November 3rd through, I don't know what, January 1st? <laughs> what, what are we going to see in Michigan and what are we going to see nationally? I mean, hopefully it doesn't take that long. Um, we're all expecting a couple of days. Um, I think the Secretary of State has a, a bit of a rosier picture now than a couple months ago, but um, it's going to probably take a couple of days for all the absentee ballots to be counted. Um, I don't know. I mean, are you asking for what are our kind of predictions for for what will happen here, or, or the process of the election? What process of the election, not the not the outcome. We'll, you, we'll, yeah. we'll finish with that, but just the pro. What could is it going to be more orderly than the rhetoric we've heard? And there have been people who are, especially from the left, where you're hearing like Trump's going to try to steal the election, or he's going to validate, or they're going to go to the Supreme Court. There was a pretty critical Supreme Court ruling yesterday. Uh, I believe it's North Carolina. Um, the Republicans had tried to say you, you can only vote on election day. The Supreme Court upheld a, a state judge's ruling that there's going to be up to three days to count the ballots. Um, I know I know that's just for one state, but that's sort of what's going to be a template. What could, we can expect in Michigan, it's going to take two, three days um, to get the results. And that you feel like the process is in place that will be orderly after the election. Well, at one point there was a court ruling in place that said um, election officials had to count late arriving ballots, um, I think up to two weeks after the election. Um, so at one point it looked like it was going to be a real mess for a couple of weeks. Uh, that ruling has been overturned um, now. And so, so the deadline of election day is back in place. So unless that switches back over again, um, I think we'll, it'll just be a couple of days, like like Malachi said. That's my prediction. A couple of days after the election, just all the absentees. Um, but I do think, you know, I'm not sure what the rules are in other states as, as far as counting their absentee ballots and how long it'll take. So I think it'll be like 2000 when it was a bit of a mess um, that came down to Florida and there was a Supreme Court hearing ruling that, that ended up deciding the election. Um, and then the wild card in that race, Al Gore conceded. And I'm not sure we're going to get that. Um, <laughs> so. I don't see any scenario where there's going to be a concession right. uh, short of going to the Supreme Court. And, you know, Malachi, I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you seem like they had a little disbelief that this might take till January. But uh, I don't know where you were in 2000, but <laughs> I was in a newsroom. I was in a newsroom uh, and I'm not making a comment about your your relative youth. I, I believe I was in elementary school in 2000. Thank you very much. Uh, but I remember, you know, I, I haven't worked elections all my whole careers. You usually knew by the time you went to sleep, whether it was even six in the morning, you went to sleep, but you, you generally knew the outcome. And it was just a cluster for weeks uh, with the hanging chads and, and the fact that they went to the Supreme Court. And it, you know, I don't remember exactly how long it took, but it was upward to a month, wasn't it, Khalil? Yeah, I was 18 years old myself, so I don't remember. So <laughs> I'm getting a little long, getting a little long in the tooth. But the last thing I expect is to go to bed knowing that everything is is nailed down, and we know who the who all the winners are. And you know, I think at the state race level, and, and I think some of this uh, the pushback from the top of the ticket about questioning election results or the validity of that may seep down 
to other races where people want to contest, but I don't expect to know in the in the next 24 hours after the polls close, unless it's a wipeout, you know, unless it's, it's clearly a runaway win. So, Andy, let's end with that. Let's talk about the race we were talking about, James and Peters, what you guys think from what you're seeing, not just from Poland, but your gut feelings about Michigan and the electoral map here, uh, whether he hangs on or not, um, or, or whether this is James's time. I think it would be difficult given just the math here in Michigan. I mean, Khalil has mentioned that in the Detroit area, in Wayne County, there's been emphasis on voting and voting early in such an effort by Democrats to make sure that they don't see that huge drop off that they saw in 2016, that, that voters, you know, aren't disillusioned with their choices and they, they go out and vote. And so I think, you know, it's, it's largely going to be, their fate is going to be tied to what happens in the presidential race. And I think Peters is going to be helped quite a bit by the work that the Democrats and the Biden campaign has done to pump up the votes in those democratic strongholds. Um, and I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but you know James really struggled in 2018 uh, in Wayne County in Detroit. Um, I think he's probably made a little bit of you know error and, and might do a little bit better than last time. But you know, my 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 assumption is that if turnout is high, perhaps that'll kind of be enough to to help uh, Peters hang on to a second term. I think. Um as much momentum as James is building, I don't, I don't, my prediction is that it won't be quite enough to beat the incumbent. Um, but I think I'm seeing him being, a, you know, a really influential and important voice in the Republican party later. Um, especially if, if the president doesn't win reelection, Republicans are really going to have to do some sort of soul searching and, and really look at, uh, you know, their strategies and their, and their, platforms. Um, and I actually think it would be really good for Michigan Republicans for James to really have influence there. Mm-hmm. One of the things he said in that rant on Twitter that I mentioned that, that you know, that sort of caught me by surprise, is he said, he described the Republican Party as being imperfect. It's not the perfect party, but it's the one that he, he identifies with, which, which, you know, stood out to me as a way to, you know, maybe introduce him to, uh, you know, as a, as a figure for a little bit of change, a little bit of shifting um, for the GOP, but that, that could really come into play in the coming years after this election. Last question. If James does not win, does that mean that's the end of $100 million plus uh, TV campaigns? No, if anything, people will say the, the real problem is that they didn't spend $200 million on <laughs> the race. I mean, oh. this is this isn't going anywhere. It's it's going to keep escalating. We we've seen this get you know more and more inflated every year. So um, yeah, I, I think regardless of the outcome of this race, you're going to see more money in our elections moving forward. Well, guys, uh, thank you for joining us today. I want to say get a lot of rest. I know you can't because uh, you've got a couple every day now. We have uh, appearances by candidates or their relatives in Michigan, and and the pace is going to pick up if I recall right in 2016 the night of the election trump was in grand rapids i mean this is a swing state it's an important state um critical to the 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 overall electoral map so i think it's the pace is going to pick up but get some rest between now and november 3rd you guys have been doing a great job lots of great information on them live from our political coverage team uh khalil malachi thanks for joining us today on behind the headlines thanks for having us
And there they go. A huge thanks to Khalil and Malachi for joining us today. He is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkerin, and as always, you can uh, follow us on Spotify if you like the podcast. You can like and review wherever you get your podcasts, and then share them if you're into what we're doing. This is Behind the Headlines. We'll catch you next week.